Hello, and welcome to the Grow, Trust, Lead podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Hepburn, with my co-host here, Alana Levinson. Hello there. Now, we started this podcast because we want leaders from all walks of life to possess the knowledge and tools to navigate the pitfalls of corporate life, and also to so that they can experience sustainable success for themselves and their teams. Today's episode is all about managing in the middle. Our managers are dealing with being pulled in two different directions. They have leaders wanting to go back to the old ways in the before times, as well as employees asking them for more, more pay, more career development, feedback and opportunities, and so much more. So just to, to level set this, I started this conversation or this podcast topic with Alana because I came across some really interesting research on quiet quitting. And we got into a spirited debate about it, and we were sharing anecdotes from our lives, our careers, as well as from our clients, and really just trying to get to the heart of the matter. Like, what's the so what for our clients who are usually managing at some level of the organization, executive or, or the middle of a managing strata? So we started talking about that and we're like, this would be a great podcast. So now you're coming in on the conversation already in progress. Alana, I'd just love for you to jump in and share how you see the state of affairs for managers right now in corporate America. It's exactly what you said. Let me say this. I'll preface it by saying, I think there's lots of opportunity. That being said, there's a lot of challenges that precede that. And that desire for things to go back to the way that they were, there needs to be this peaceful acceptance that that's just not possible and that we are in the here and now, that we are a transformed culture and society. And when I mean by culture and society, that means not just in the United States, that means globally, there's some similarities and yes, there are some cultural differences. And we need to be at present with acceptance and looking forward to the opportunity at hand. And you know, you mentioned up a couple of things and one of the other things that people are wanting is more flexibility. And I think there's also with that, there's come this fear because of, I don't wanna go down that rabbit hole, but there's been a lot of divisiveness in different ways in our culture now because of what's occurred over the last few years. And because of that, there is now a fear of speaking up and I'm seeing it, unfortunately, not just with the team members or individual contributors. I'm also seeing it occur within leaders and their fear in engaging in certain conversations. Well, on one token, yes, I've seen the fear in certain organizations and clients, but then we just had hot labor summer, right? <laughs> For everybody saying with all the unionization and everything else. So there's like this really loud group who's really vocalizing the disturbances. And then a lot of organizations, like you said, have a lot of people who want to do that, but are afraid. And neither is good, right? You don't want people just shouting and you don't want people silently stewing. They're different sides of the same coin, which really relates to one thing, right? Why people quiet quit? What's at the core? It's that employee disengagement. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, so that's party acceptance, right? It's, I was a little responsive to the term quiet quitting. So I'm like, what is this? Oh, it's just another buzz term. What does it really mean? It means disengagement. Okay, now 
what are the potential causes or contributors to disengagement? That's where the focus needs to lie because that's what you can control. Yeah. I mean, you can't control other people, but we can have an impact on their experience. Right. Right. We both have been in corporate long enough. We were both in corporate organizations a long time and we know how things get done. And there's always someone on the team who's super motivated. And there's always someone on the team who's like, yeah, I just clock in, clock out. Like, you're right. You can't change that. But I think what what makes this different from those days, I hate to say the olden days, but (laughs) it kind of is, right? That's part of the acceptance. Is that it's at scale. Imagine if you multiplied those outliers (laughs) and it's the majority are those are outliers on either side of the coin, either the nine to fivers or the go-getters who give their all, right? And the challenge is when you live on the extremes, You have no support. It's a very unbalanced way of working. And that to me is what this whole quiet quitting, great resignation, they're all, all of the burnout and the disinvestment in training and development. It's years and years in the making. Because when I joined corporate America at the turn of the century, (laughs) I like to say, (laughs) right, I was right out of school and I, and I had employees who were working for me on my, on my shift in my department in manufacturing who are constantly telling me, oh man, you should have been here a few years ago. I-, I had a couple employees, everything they said that was good always started with, you should have been here a few years ago. When the stock split, everybody's making money. It didn't matter if you were a new hire, union member, general worker, all the way up to the CEO. Everybody was making money. It was great. We all got these things. And then like I got what, three weeks worth of training that first year right now? And fast forward 10 years later, I joined a job and I was just literally just handed my tools and and said, hey, go after these customers. A level of training and investment and protocol, right? I think that's the biggest thing I learned was what were the social norms of the organization and the protocol because my peers and other leaders had time back then versus now. No one has time to train you. No one has the resources. Training budgets got slashed everywhere. Well, and then even coaching, right? So it's interesting because as coaches, you know, what are we seeing within our own industry? I mean, there's a lot of noise out there. It's gotten even more competitive. There's more of us out there. And yet in corporate America, the budgets for even training are being slashed and therefore resources for coaching. It's like this. Right. I'm talking to a couple of prospects right now who want some proposals to just to see if they could get their coaching sponsored by their employer and but their expect, expectations kind of low. Yeah. And they know that they might end up having a paper out of pocket because they were specifically told, even as senior leaders, that the budget and resources for even coaching has been slashed. It's just right. interesting. And and the challenge is that it worked for Fortune one hundred companies. So publicly traded companies, you see the numbers that the company is putting out there to Wall Street and everything else. And I mean, part of it, you know, is because you're invested in the success of the company and you want to see the company succeed. Mm -hmm. And the challenge with all of the, we don't have the funding answers is that it rings hollow to a lot of people who see the quarterly or annual report. You know, you hire smart people, smart people are going to be readers and readers are going to be researchers and they're going to find this information. And it's spiritually 
conflicting to not see even their business unit as reported at a loss. However, they're seeing everything get slashed. They're seeing, you know, two employees left and they said, oh, we don't have the budget to refill those positions. But you had the budget to pay Stan and Nancy, but now you don't have the budget to pay new Stan and new Nancy. It just, it hurts the head. There's a lot of things that don't make sense or feel unintentionally cruel all the time. Well, and I want to dive into some of what's in this this white paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm totally dead. No, 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 no. (laughs) And all of this is important. And what it's also bringing to mind is something that I'm currently coaching. He worked for a company that has, that was acquired by the bigger company that he now works for. It's a tech company. He's gone through a lot of changes since he, he came on board as a leader. Like a lot of companies these days, especially tech, they're going through layoffs. So he's got this new team. And what we've learned in coaching or team coaching is that when even there's one one person change on the team, whether it's letting them go or hiring a new one, the dynamic, and it's in essence, a new team, right? So he's aware of that. He knows that. And he's working on becoming a more inspirational leader and, and wants to, from the get-go, now that they just finished the process of layoffs, he wants to take the team that he now has and really accelerate trust. Well, so I encourage him to go to his HR department and see, you know, what do they have that they can provide him, whether they do it, facilitate that conversation, because I'm only coaching him one-to-one and that's the contractual agreement. So it can't be anything more. So he went, he researched it. They don't have anyone that can do it for him. And they gave him this 45 slide PowerPoint and said, here, go do this. And he's never done this before. So I'm now going to slowly start to work with him and strategize on how we can take this content that he's never used before. He's never done anything like this before and work it in such a way where he can actually facilitate himself. And I can tell he's uncomfortable. He's very uncomfortable. And he wants to lean towards things that are more easy, like fun icebreakers. And I said, those are great to create levity and don't create a missed opportunity. You've got this new team, they're allocating time to actual build some trust with your team and how best do you think you're going to do that? And PS, this is not a one and done thing. Ideally, you're going to do something like this at minimum once a quarter. And he was a bit like, oh, really? And, I, and then he got it, you know, because this is an ongoing practice and it's an ongoing building. And so it's just interesting because there's so many things that are being affected that it could talk about quiet quitting is like this quick buzzword, but it's like, what does that really have to do with when you t- when you look underneath disengagement and then how companies are either creating more obstacles or more difficulties than they realize? The problem is that a lot of these are unintended consequences of, of past decisions, right? I don't think we should be making any leader wrong for the state of affairs internally that lead to these situations but you are wrong if you ignore once you have awareness right and that's the thing the disengagement like as defined as i shared with you this white paper from the interdisciplinary center for healthy workplaces at uc berkeley i had the pleasure of hearing dr christina banks present at a panel on quiet quitting and talking about what employers can do And her voice stood out to me because it was so practical and it was so matter of fact, and it it really aligns with what we're talking about. And 
one thing she raised, she said in the first paragraph exactly what you said, that quiet quitting is just a new label on the same thing, disengagement, and employee engagement has been dropping precipitously since the pandemic. We saw that that spike initially when everybody was like, the rails will not fall off on my watch. And then people got tired of working at that pace. So it's since come down and manager engagement is actually the worst right now because yeah the scope of responsibilities has dramatically increased, both for on-site as well as remote managers. And I love that white paper, which we'll include in the show notes because we're referencing it, has a huge conversation about the fact that disengagement is the absence of intrinsic motivation, that personal attachment to performing one's best, right? When it's personally important that I show up to work and I give my all and I go the extra mile and I support and I reach out, that's what's been lost. And she actually gives references to researchers who have said why that's been lost, which I think the why is super helpful for managers and leaders to hear. And the why I think is pretty diverse. It's the lack of appropriate physical and managerial resources. Right. So what does that mean? That's exactly what you said. There's no one to give the training. They're not trained on how to train. And I was a supervisor and I had to give training to my employees. They put me through train the trainer general training, then past specific how to train in a regulated environment training. I had special supervisory training about what I can and cannot say when I critique an employee or evaluate their performance to keep us out of legal trouble. We had all these layers all presented by people who had a background in how to train. Some of them went to school for learning and development and instructional design. Or some of them had an education background. So they knew how to talk to people at all different levels of the organization, all different learning styles. And that matters when you want your training dollar to go the extra mile, right? And unfortunately, he doesn't have any of that. Yeah. It just adds so much to his struggle. Well, and what's interesting is this person I'm speaking about, he is also going through a leadership program with other leaders at his company. And yet and he shared some of the curriculum and content with me and I'm complimenting. I said, bring that in to our coaching sessions and let me help you deepen the application for it. That being said, whatever it is that he's going through there, it's not enough. And then he shared this 45 slide PowerPoint with me and he wants to lean more towards fun Breakers. So in other words, it's like, even when companies do try to provide some of those trainings, there's something that's still ineffective about it. It's got great intentions and some of the content's great. I'll show you some of them. I'm like, this is good stuff. It's not always enough. There's something that I want to fast forward to in this white paper that I think would be, or hopefully is valuable for our audience. And it's a very simple formula that she has in here of how job performance is a function of ability times motivation. And that one does not compensate or cannot compensate for the other. And that the key is when you hire someone, you're hiring them for their ability. And then it's up to that leader. It's up to that organization, that company, that company culture, and that environment, the role, the job responsibilities to continue to inspire that motivation. I usually actually rarely use the term motivation. I more often use inspiration because it's a different experience. In fact, I learned a long time ago that motivation is actually 
it's doing something because you're trying to avoid a consequence. And that creates this kind of this heavy have to energy about it. And that doesn't really work for anybody. Whereas when you think about something that inspires you, it's sort of like this fire that gets lit up from within. There's no, there's no need. There's no justifying. It's just like, let's just, let's just do it. And uh, there's an actual difference between that. That being said, okay, let's look at this formula. And yeah, one cannot compensate for the other. Both are important. And what can the leader, the company be doing to make sure that you're not only sustaining them, that you're actually supporting each employee in their own unique way, because everybody's different, unfortunately, in being able to expand both. Right. And I think it comes down to standards. I think that this is an opportunity to start putting together, and maybe this is because I was an engineer and I was raised in manufacturing, but procedures, core expectations, because that I think is a huge part of the conflict that I see in teams as a facilitator and as a speaker. A lot of the conflict is coming from mismatched expectations. Yes. if we would just write down, <laughs> I know. Or, right, what you and I were talking about earlier about, you know, a, a term that I created of the unspoken agreements. Yeah. And I'll also add this. So there's, let's say there is a contractual written format of these expectations. Okay. Explain why. What's important about it? What's the why? Don't just tell what's expected of them. It will actually sink in deeper deeper, and will inspire somebody more deeply when they fully understand the why of these expectations. Does that make sense? It 100% makes sense. And I just hear like people listening or watching are going to be like, yeah, but I'm too busy to care. I'm too busy to explain yeah. it. Yeah. And that's the trouble, right? Is that we're so caught up into the doing the things that we don't see the value in allocating that time all the time. And really what it comes down to, you have to think about it like a contract. If your old contract expired and now you're not going to make money the same way you used to make, now you have to go into a new negotiation. And I think that's the phase of business we're in, whether we want it to be or not. We're renegotiating that social contract between employee and employer, between manager and individual contributor. The employees are saying, I want more training. I want more opportunity, better pay, different work environment. Managers are saying specifically they want less bureaucracy. They want better tools. They're tired of systems being clomped onto systems that don't work and they constantly have to do workarounds. And then if one person leaves in the wrong place, (laughs) the whole thing grinds to a halt and everybody's working later, right? That's what everybody has needs that are, are not being met. So coming up with a strategy to meet those needs, to your point, if you hire people based on their ability, but then don't give them the ability to use their skills and their talents on a regular basis, how can you light that fire? Again, like leverage them, maximize them. Yeah, they'll lose the fire. And it, that goes back to contribution. And if they don't feel like they're actually contributing anything to the greater cause, because deep down inside all of us, and I don't care how old you are, what stage of career you're in. And yes, our values change over time. I've worked with people as young as 16 and as old as 80. So I've seen it all. That being said, we need to all have purpose. All of us need to have purpose. And if we don't feel like we're actually contributing anything or we're not clear about what it is that we're contributing, then there's that disconnect. And then we don't even see ourselves in there. We don't feel like we, we that we're a part of it anymore. Right. People aren't going to show up because someone yells, shut up and listen, or it's your job, fool. 
know, or whatever it is. Yeah. People have been harshly saying, like, leaders have been in the media over the last few years saying some pretty harsh things about return to work or disengagement. And I don't know about you, but no one's ever convinced me in any kind of debate or argument by insulting me or my intelligence. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe there's proof that it works, but if anything, it shuts people down. And we're at a point where in order to get this new contract really moving forward, this new social contract, we when we all agree to work together towards a common goal, I need to redefine what the goal is. Yeah. Historically, the goal has always been quarterly performance and financial stakeholders. But people want more than that. People want the planet to be a stakeholder. People want the community to be a stakeholder. And also the needs of teams have changed over the years, right? The need for flexibility is greater now. I personally believe it's because people have more trauma and different responsibilities than they ever have, right? And some of it is generational, right? We got Gen Z is going to be a third of the workforce in a couple of years. That's 33% of your employees are going to come in with trauma that like capital T trauma because the other yeah. survivors <laughs> that early and yeah it's capital T yeah. trauma it's not yeah. like trauma of like bad childhood because you got no. caught up in the system and it's like isolated person to person yeah no 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 no, no. it's way so we, we have people who are going through existential crises multiple times in their life they may be yeah. survivors of school shootings or school related threats they could be survivors of the crash of 2008 in which they saw their grandparents, parents, family members get laid off. They My saw, parents, they, yeah. you know, people got evicted and unhoused and are still living in trailers to this day from that. And that yeah. happened over a decade ago. So they're informed by, okay, my mom worked nights and weekends for 20 years and missed everything in my childhood because of her job. And then it just disappeared and we lost everything. So their expectations for companies and work is completely different. Their well, respect and for and their lack of patience is also because of all the existential crisis, like climate change and, you know, the pandemic. There's a sense of life could be taken from me. I have to get all I can. Well, I, <laughs> it's I different. Would, yeah. I like the boomers. The boomers had that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that at the time, you know, like back in the 80s and 90s, at the time, it, that felt unique to that generation. Mm-hmm. So as we're talking about this, you know, for those that are listening or watching this, you know, also to acknowledge it's not just this newer generation coming in, every single one of us that is still here on the planet that, you know, as we've gone through what we've gone through over the past few years, and I don't, unfortunately, I don't think it's over yet. And I look forward to when we as humanity can get on the other side of whatever is occurring, but it's, I think it's going to be another couple of years. And so talk about resilience, a whole other podcast, right? But that's going to be even more and more important that I guess what I really want to say, and this, this might be a great way to, to end is to acknowledge that we as humanity are going through very unique times and the level of stress that we're experiencing in life as a whole, not just in the workplace, has really done a number on us and our ability to adapt and our ability to change our approach so that we can be more compassionate towards each other as human beings, as well as figuring out how we can continue to be productive, how we can continue to develop ourselves personally, professionally, and how we can also effectively work together as teams. And then boy, the responsibility that's on leaders these days is more than it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah. So 
In closing, what would be one of your suggestions to help managers deal with quiet quitters or disengaged employees right now? It's a great question. What just top of mind without thinking about it too much, really look at your own comfort level in engaging employees in conversation, in dialogue. If you're noticing or observing somebody on your team that is exuding this disengagement type behavior, you need to talk to them. You need to say, hey, I'm noticing this. Let's have a conversation about it. Dig deeper, get curious, ask open-ended questions, find out what's going on for them. You know, it, is there a small percentage of people as sometimes being assumed that there's an element of laziness? Sure. There's always going to be those people. Is that the majority? Absolutely not. So now it becomes your job to get curious as the leader to not only make sure that you are seeing it, but that you, that you get ahead of it. Don't wait too long because like anything else, it can, it can spiral. And you want to get ahead of it as quickly as possible. So look at your own comfort level or discomfort around having those kinds of conversations. Get curious. Talk to that person as human to human. Get real with them as often as you can and see where you can take that, that relationship. See what you can do to support them. Get some clarity around them, things that you can actually do with this person to help reconnect with their ability to reconnect with why they even took the job in the first place. Why are they still there? Help them reconnect with that motivation, inspiration, whatever you want to call it, so that you, now you have this person who is fully present with you and in the game with you. 100%. I can't add to that. I think that that is a lovely perspective. I think I would go to the, the quiet quitting side, which is it's a disengagement is a form of self-care when your needs aren't getting met. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And for high performers, I'm assuming we're talking about we yes. want to motivate the high performers. We want to yeah. motivate the people who will get the job done. Yeah. People we know are not giving us their absolute best. Right. Let's center on that. And for those people, I, I challenge leaders to do two things. One is to manage your own emotions about it. Yes. Yeah. I think that is the hardest and elephant in the room kind of thing. But you need to manage your emotions. None of us are Meryl Streep. None of us are as good an actress or actor as we think we are. And we'll show a lot of our emotions in our tone of voice, our body language, our word choice. Facial expressions. Yes. yes. And we're unconscious of those things. And so to, to get to a place where you truly can actively listen with an open mind, you have to do some work on managing your own emotions. Now, I use heart-centered breathing. I have for over you know, almost 20 years now because it works. And I will include a link to the show notes for the heart math, quick coherence technique. But basically- yeah, And we, what, we mentioned that that's how you and I met. Yes, so we, we met through heart math. Yes, because we both are- Yeah, we were in an activating the heart of teams certification program together. And that's how I had the pleasure of meeting Victoria. So I just wanted to make sure that we put that out there and, and thank you for bringing it back to that attention because it's the managing the emotions, it's that self-awareness. That's, I think, the elephant in the room, right? Because corporate America, we don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about fight. You know, you just, there are only two valid emotions, happiness and anger, right? <laughs> like, everything in between is like wish. Or maybe that's just well I was raised in companies. But I think that managing your emotions and having a way to take, when you get triggered, the big emotions start rising up in you. What's your way of calming yourself down? Not just squishing it down. 
and say, yes. I'll deal with that <laughs> later. Let's be real. That's avoidance. That doesn't yeah. work for anyone. But that's what most of us are taught, right? How it's do you not a strategy. Not long term. It one, it eats no. at you. It eats at you yes. and and just erodes all your relationships beyond work too. But two, it's not good for your overall health and well being. And three, it's gonna block you. You're gonna live in that emotion and you're not gonna be able to experience the next one. A wise, wise person once told me emotions are like waves. They should come over you and recede. If they don't, you need to get help. And so I invite you to get the help. If you feel like you're stuck in angry, you're stuck on frustrated, you're stuck somewhere, get that help, get that tool in place. It can be so simple. Like I love heart math because I was able to eyes open, do a heart lock in yeah. and feel good feelings right after someone just lied to my face. And I just wanted to tell them about that, but I knew it would be counterproductive. I knew if I called them out on that, their defenses would be up and we wouldn't get anywhere. And a lot of managers are in that position, right? Your employee saying, oh, I've been working all day. And meanwhile, you know, their computer has been off. (laughs) So how do you not get fully triggered by that? You have to have some technique that you practice regularly that helps you bring yourself back. That's why my programs, I make sure to give managers those tools because that's the science you need in real life today to be your best, regardless of if budgets change, regardless of if you get resources to take the the work barriers for your performance out of the way, you still have to function. Well, and there's just to build on what you said, what I want to make sure that the audience is clear on is what Victoria is not saying as far as like anger and those emotions is give yourself permission to experience them. Because I've met many people who grew up in an environment where they weren't allowed to be angry. And that's not healthy either. So if you aware, like allow, give yourself permission to feel. And it's the skill set. It's a skill to be able to name the emotion. Okay, maybe it's anger. And then and then get curious, you know, look at well, what's causing this anger for me and what part of it, it instead of, you know, often people will blame something external, whether it's something or someone else. Where is your potential ownership in that? Because that's that's where you can do something about it, and then like the wave, don't get stuck, don't get stuck in it, right? So allow yourself to feel it, be with it, and don't stay stuck in it. I agree with you, but I feel like that for some of us, <laughs> that's years of therapy down the road. <laughs> like some people don't have, like you said, don't have the vocabulary. That's why I love the heart math technique specifically. Yeah. Because I'm not a therapist. I'm not giving medical advice, and I feel that. Some people need to go to have someone help them release past trauma so they can identify it, right? If you can't talk about your anger, now we have all this amazing social emotional resources. I highly recommend that all adults download this app that PBS created called the Daniel Tiger for Parents app because Mm -hmm. it gives you things to calm yourself down. Like my son and I, when he has anger, he's a little kid. He doesn't know how to deal with the big feelings, right? So they have a song and you do the song and he tells you, okay, take a deep breath and count to four. Mm -hmm. Um, One, two, three, four. Okay. I'm not as mad. Like I'm still annoyed, but I'm I'm still but I'm not as mad, right? Like we as adults need that. <laughs> for sure. Like that's not just so, kids. Yeah. So that's why I tell everyone it says for parents, yeah. but it's for every human who's ever felt something. Because 
if you're over, say, 25, you weren't immersed in the culture of sharing in the same way when you were in your fundamental single-digit developmental years. So for some of us, it could be a longer journey. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there. Like heart math, it does not require you to name or tame. You just have to remember to do the skill. And if you yeah. do the skill without fail, you feel neutral. <laughs> I can't say you'll feel better, but you can shift into neutral. And I say that as someone when I was in those meetings where I watched like a coworker lying to my customer or lying to me, and that violated my values and my integrity, it was the best thing I could do yeah. was to go within, eyes open. I'm not making weird noises, right? Like there's so many meditations and things that I know and I do, but that is the only one that I feel like flies That's under the radar. Yeah, that's the beautiful simplicity of the tools that are offered via heart math. Yeah. Yeah. So so I agree with you. I just had to put it out there that like sometimes okay. it's messy. <laughs> yeah, it can be. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's life, right? Life is a big old yeah. finger painting exercise, you know? You Got to get messy to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to close. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next time on grow, trust, and lead. Thank you.